0: Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark and I have got a first timer in the book club today. It's a great pleasure to have with me Michael Crowder. Michael, welcome to the book club. Hello Eamon, great to be here. Uh, it's fantastic. Thanks for getting in touch by emailing mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. Now we're going to start, as we always do for a um, first timer on the book club, with your 2018 and comics origin story.
1: Uh, yeah, so I've read comics since I was a, a, a young lad, but came to 2000 AD relatively late. Um, so I, my uh, my comic of choice when I was younger was the, Transform, the UK Transformers comic. Um, after have, having read Dandy and Beano and, and all those sort of humour comics, but it was the Transformers comic that really sort of sparked my attention. Um, I came to 2000 AD, Prog 690 was my first um, prog. Um, I, uh, service station on my way on holiday and was was hooked immediately the uh the lack of of knowledge uh, in the complex stories was really just what sort of pulled me in of, of uh, what is going on here you know what's happening particularly at that stage um, necropolis was for, uh, judge shred was was the thing for me so i carried it on um throughout most of the 90s not really realizing uh what a difficult period that was i guess uh given my my age um left in the late 90s and um, returned to 2000 AD, sort of 2004-ish, at a different stage in my life. And um, so I missed Leviathan the first time around because it was in that gap for me. So I came to that. I I actually borrowed boxes and boxes of of progs from my brother-in-law and um, and read Leviathan first when sort of reading through that gap that I'd missed.
0: Because, yes, this is sort of, um, if my trade is correct, this is 2003, 2004, 2005 time, isn't it? Well, certainly the first one is 2003, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so I missed the 2003, which is the main story. So I'd, I read the um, the extra Tales of, of Leviathan in the prog at the time, but the the, the true story I'd, I'd missed.
0: And still with the prog now and the Meg?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, subscribe physically um, and um, buy the trades of the stuff that... that- that i really like I, I no longer keep them all in boxes at the end of my bed because it would just be crazy but um uh, I, I buy the trades of the of the really good stuff and yeah it's just becomes a staple of your life doesn't it it does yeah absolutely oh good
0: well i'm glad to hear that now you've mentioned the book already tell us what you picked uh for the book club and, and why you picked it
1: yeah so i wanted to talk about leviathan which i you know genuinely believe is one of Despite it's how short it is, it's one of the best stories that um, that 2008 has published, certainly in the in the more recent period. Although I guess it's nearly twenty years old now, but it feels recent to me. Yeah, I just think it's a it's a fantastic story, and you're you're dropped into this amazing world, and I think it's just one of the best stories that that we've had in the prog. Fantastic stuff. Well, let's just do the facts and figures.
0: As you said, we're in two thousand and three, prog's thirteen fifty one to thirteen sixty for the initial run. Ian Edgington is the writer. Matt Disraeli-Brooker is the artist, lettered by the great Tom Frame. Editor was Matt Smith. I've got the hardback from 2006. I think you've got the paperback version as well,
1: haven't you? Yeah, paperback for me.
0: So give us a quick outline for anybody who hasn't read Leviathan or hasn't read it recently. What is the sort of setup for this uh, sort of fantastic story that Edgington and Disraeli have come up with?
1: Yeah. So the story starts with a, a very brief flashback of the launch of the the Leviathan, which is the uh, largest cruise liner that the world has ever seen. Uh, it is a floating city, more than more than a boat. Um, and then very quickly after the first page, you're dropped into the, the point where this this uh, city boat is. In the middle of nowhere, and all the people on it are trapped. They don't know where they are. They don't know what's going on. Um, and uh, it starts with suicide, and that's that's how bad things have got. And we know that it's been many years at sea with no hope of ever finding land. Um, and then, on top of that, there's now uh, a, a murderer on board, and that is effectively the setup with the. Upper classes on the boat calling in a uh, a detective to help them find out who's murdering. Because while there's always been murders on murders on the boat, and it's never been a problem, it's uh, now in first class, so it's now treated a bit more seriously.
0: Fantastic stuff. Yes, the detective sergeant Lament is called in to uh, uh, investigate a murder in up uh, in the first class. Um so it's a fantastic concept just before we start recording, we briefly mentioned Ian edgington's introduction um which we've both got in our collections and he sort of he talks about some of the the uh his sort of like influences for coming up with this story and mentions a few sort of um i guess horror concepts doesn't he
1: yeah, he talks about it as as The Shining uh, or, or, or more specifically, I think, the hotel from The Shining at sea. I think I guess that's quite important because the, the story is very different. But if you just if you just had that hotel at sea with all of the uh, the horrors and weirdness within um, and um, he this is something that they were shipping around a little bit and off the back of. Scarlet Traces was going to be at Cool Beans Comics, I think that's right, and then yeah. once Scarlet Traces ended up in the Meg, that's really what pulled it into the 2000 AD um, universe.
0: And yeah, you're right, he does mention The Shining, as if or rather, as you say, the Overlook Hotel was at sea, uh, there's an old dark house mystery, a sort of murder mystery, there's a bit of police procedural um, and it's all, there's then the Uncanny and um, Sort of like we're not giving too much away. Should we say something occult is going on on board Leviathan?
1: Yeah, I think the the story works sort of. It really is three act structure, and as you say, we won't won't give too much away. Or, or, or I mean, arguably, actually, there's you've got the setup, and then then the the uh, detecting goes on, and there is a, a hunters to try and find out what's going on, which leads eventually to the reveal and in, and in, in, into the end. But it's it's really broken down really well from the the first sections just just on the uh inside the sergeant's quarters and in the first class quarters and the main areas of the boat then leading that that hunt and and, uh uh, investigation into the other areas of the boat which i mean weirdly it's not like titanic at all but weirdly is reminiscent of titanic when you you know you're actually going let's go and see what the real people are doing on this boat And, and obviously it's very different from the experiences of the um the upper class of the boat in their very dark rooms all of the all of the rooms that that group are in uh, are, are all black and it's only when you get into the uh, detectives quarters and the rest of the uh, the boat that you get more there's no color in this but you get more shades of gray or more white
0: and you mentioned the detective and i'm i'm just thinking of pat mills and how he always felt british comics reflected the working classes and the sort of struggle against the upper class Because we've got Detective Sergeant Lament. uh, He later on, he gets a sort of companion assistant. They're very much from the sort of, you know, they're working class heroes uh, who've been called in to solve this crime. What did you think of Ian's writing? And particularly, what did you think of these characters, these sort of central detectives that we uh, um, encounter in this story?
1: Yeah, going back to the introduction, as you mentioned, Ian Edgerton's clear that he... He was. He knew that the hero had to be uh, older and not a test. I think he says not not no testosterone pack twenty something, all six pack and perfect teeth. You know, this is a a normal fella at the uh, later stages of his life who's seen. You know, who's seen things, um, and is now dealing with this quite incredible situation. And the the class is is all over it, particularly in the in the first section. The the image of um, the detective lament with. A uh, second class, literally saying second class, uh, sort of docket hanging around his neck uh, is just, it's, it's upsetting, right? Uh, in the same way that the, the more you see the upper classes and with the uh, bands around their arms, with the eyes on just the just the more like Nazis they seem, it's, it's, um, it's very stark uh, even before you start heading it down into the ship and start seeing all of the day to day people further down and, and how different life is down there. Yeah. It is quite Pat Mills in that in that way
0: yes and I really I really enjoyed Detective Sergeant lament as a fantastic character as you say he's slightly world weary he's you know he's had a lot of tragedy in his life he's been beaten down a bit and he's treated with contempt by uh, the first class passengers or the you know the the, uh, the upper upper class people who call him in who sort of like need him but he's just wonderful isn't he, he just this sort of fantastic Uh, doggy detective Um, and like I say he also gets a sort of companion later on as well which is fantastic as well it's great stuff I I really enjoyed the writing and his dialogue and his world weary expressions
1: yeah and, and as you say the dialogue so right from the very first introduction so this is the first is this his first page of talking? Yeah. So we've got some voiceover or the comic version of voiceover to, to begin with. But when he's on the first page where he's a uh, meeting and talking to the, that, that cabal who, who run the boat and he meets the, the old doctor, um, who says, uh, and he says, we've met before. And he says, oh, we have? And he says, yes, five years ago, my wife was in labor. You attended her. And the doctor says, oh, I, and the mother and child doing fine. Uh, no, they died in childbirth. You were drunk and incompetent. And it's just like right from the start, you've got the tragedy in his life, but just stated matter of fact, right in the face of the person whose fault it was. Um, just, you know, I'm, I'm just here to, to say the right things and to, to deal with this.
0: Yeah, great stuff. The Also, the setting, this ship, Trapped in some weird, uncanny ocean where it never can find land, and there's very weird stuff going on. You know, it's it's an enormous, as you say, it's a floating city. It's almost as if one of 2000 AD's mega cities has been put to sea. Um, and I, you know, I'm just again thinking: is that is it? I think the Netflix drama in 1899 about a weird ship that gets lost at sea. There's something similar going on there.
1: Um, But here they were doing it in 2003. I've not seen that. There's also, uh, again, uh, books and films which I've not seen about sort of cities on wheels in post-apocalyptic. That's the only other thing I can think of. I can't even remember what that's called, but... um, it's yeah it's an amazing concept i think my if i had a criticism of leviathan which is which feels crazy to say but it's just that it's almost not it's it's almost it's too quick right there's so much you could have you could do there and i know they've gone back to it for a few one-offs since but you could have left all of the more weird occult stuff for much further down the line uh the, there's so many stories that could be told in that setting before you get to you know, where, where it gets to just a really, it's, you know, just what is it? 10, 11 episodes in it's, it's, it's crazy. That such an amazing concept is, is over and done so quickly. And it's a brilliant read because of it, but it just feels like it could have gone on for years.
0: Well, let me ask you about that because Ian turn unfortunately has got this reputation in recent years for starting our of projects, which are as yet unfinished in the pages of the prog. I'm thinking of brass sun and helium he could say, to a certain extent, stickleback because of, you know, a reveal about that character. But here he is with, you know, his regular collaborator, Disraeli. And as you say, he's doing a very short, contained story. And when I came to reread it for this recording, you know, it did strike me, actually, that it was very quick, quicker than I remembered. Um, And it does seem like this one had much more, you know, this... You, you, as you say you, this one probably could have gone on for a lot longer
1: yeah i, I yeah agreed i mean how many uh, how many episodes is it? i'm just uh looking at the, the the notes so what it's i mean is it 10 episodes right which is episodes, yeah i guess if you yeah. reading it week to week over two and a half months it must have been so satisfying. I mean, as I say, I, I read it all in one go, and have and have read it again and again, all in one go every time. But it, it must have been a very satisfying, uh, and felt a bit longer over the, the the ten weeks. But yes, it does. It does feel like it could have been multiple stories in the same series, or or a much longer epic. Um, and maybe, as you say, maybe it's better for, for being what it is, being a complete story, telling, telling the story it wanted to tell. And, it, and it's brilliant. Right. So there's no, no criticism of it there. Um, and it's probably certainly better than it never revealing what was going on or never having a good ending. But it, yeah, it just feels like it could have been a true classic of, of the prog if it had lasted four or five years, uh, the course of, of five or six, 10 episode uh, arcs.
0: You mentioned that Ian and Matt were looking for a home for this story and they were also looking for a bit of a home for Scarlet Traces. Do you think, you know, this combination, this weird uncanny setting with a sort of police procedural uh, in the middle of it is that is it a, you know, is it a good match for the prog, particularly the prog of 20 years ago?
1: It's um the 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 prog does horror occasionally doesn't it so it's not um it's it it's not all the time there's not always a horror story and i and, and i do okay is it is it a true horror story i think it, it's certainly an an occult uncanny story so yeah i'm, I'm going to say it's a horror story and often it's often really good um i i think you know i'm trying to think back of um what's the uh, the john smith urban uh, horror that was Fidal fantastic yeah, Cradle Grave 10, ten years ago, and um, I'm trying to think of, of of some others. But there's been some really good. I, mean, I guess right back to Fiends of the Eastern Front. There's been some really good horror in the prog. and I think when it uh, as an occasional piece, I think it helps it helps break up the break up the sci-fi. So I think particularly in the Rebellion era, there's they've not been afraid to to have it. And so while it might not be the most the most obvious fit i don't think it's as unusual as it as it would have been if it appeared much earlier in 2000 ad's life
0: i mean i i yeah i agree i think um i'm glad that unlike the ship leviathan that uh, ian and matt found safe harbor with 2000 ad and can get to do this sort of stuff um they as you say there are, they came back to the setting for about, i think two or three uh sort of one-off stories that were during the back of this collection um it seems like a shame that they've never gone back to it since unfortunately um,
1: yeah i think the concept that, that it, it doesn't read obviously with the, the story finishes so there is an ending but when you're reading the the one-offs um i certainly didn't find that the fact that i knew the ending was problematic at all it feels like that was almost a, an attempt to say, well, could this be a, like a new type of future shock that we, we come up with these every now and then? And I can't see any reason that they couldn't do it. The fact that the main story reached its conclusion doesn't stop you dipping back in and exploring as, as these one offs do, exploring other areas or just looking at things from a different angle. Um, they could have kept doing those to the day. But I guess they've got, you know, they've got other things they want to uh, other interests and other things they want to get into.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, I should say that I love Ian and Matt's work together. And, you know, um, I think they do have a lot of plates spinning, which is why some of their projects have been away for a while and uh, have not yet come back to to sort of tell us what happens next. Um, it was a shame that we didn't get more Leviathan. But anyway, here it is. It's black and white Disraeli art. Uh, let's turn you to the artwork. What did you make of... Uh, his art on the story of Leviathan and the follow-up stories.
1: Yeah, look, it's it's genuinely genuinely amazing, which I think is uh, not no surprise to anyone who's used to to Dis- Israeli's work. Um, I think for 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 me, I- Ian Edgington is is mostly hit, but there's there's the occasional thing that that doesn't really grab me but i'm not i'm not sure i've ever read a disraeli story that i wasn't engaged with whether whether the the quality of the writing aside the artwork is is always so detailed and and also his style it changes so often um each each uh each story he's doing is is a a variation on what came before and um has a, a new slant on things um but it's, uh, you know, his, his work in Stickleback has, has been fantastic for uh, on and off. Uh, when it's been in the prog for the last few years, his, his work on low life was, you know, was brilliant. His Dirty Frank was, was amazing and carried that story, to you know, to the, to the conclusion that it reached. So it's, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's fantastic what he's able to do with the black and white and how he's able to, to, to tell, uh, to, to show such um, variations in tone. Uh, just with the blacks, the whites, and the greys. I mentioned earlier how, you know, that all of the all of the rooms that the the upper class are in are, are black, oppressive. The the eye motif all over the walls, all over the, all over the people. Um, and then the, it changes dramatically when you're down into into steerage and the much more detailed areas um, where you can see the workings of the ship uh, and all of the people that are there. Uh, living in the ship whereas in you know in the upper class you've got a very few people in in black very deep uh black rooms with patterns on the walls you go down into the ship it's all smoke it's all you know people working uh or or uh, or robbing um the the variety of of uh of design and particularly when you get right into the bowels of the ship um the the, the way it's uh the way the story is told is just fantastic. And, and I, guess, I don't know how far we're going to go, but the, you know, the designs that you see once you get really into it of the, the more nefarious uh, creatures uh, 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 are pretty spectacular.
0: It's, it's just astonishing. I mean, I just, you know, we've said this many times in podcast, we just love Israeli's work, whenever, whatever he does, whatever he turns his hand to. This was in, I, I see similarities to the stuff he did on Low Life, when he was doing those early Dirty Frank stories and doing very detailed, uh, literally low life cities, and then of course, as you say, when we get to steerage here on board the Leviathan, it is um, again—you know—he changes the lighting, he changes the textures. He always does these wonderful textures on the backgrounds and the cities. We've got like a terrible slum city below deck, haven't we? Um, and then, as you say, they explore further into the bowels of the ship and it just gets weirder and weirder and more and more wonderful.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and the, I, I'm, try- I'm trying to think how to describe things without going into, into too much detail. But particularly what strikes me is the, the design of the, the lost souls. When we meet the lost souls uh, and the multitude of them, um, which is just overwhelming, um and then you know later in the book when when they come back it, every time you see them i think it's just so so striking and so I- evocative and um and really quite quite moving by the end
0: well let's let's give a spoiler warning michael let's um take take the handcuffs off you and uh, say for anybody because i think what we'd say is if you haven't read leviathan go and read leviathan because it's fantastic um let's give the spoiler warning. absolutely yeah yeah so, spoiler warning: we're going to mention the big bad who turns up, and some of the character design and the artwork on that. What did you make of uh, when we actually re- get to reveal um, who initially seems to be the antagonist?
1: Yeah. So, but just before before we get there, the first reveal is the the Stokers, um, who are these. Uh, what we f- le- later find out is warped crew members who have bandages over their heads and walk uh, upside down on the ceiling and have tongues that, uh, or, I mean, their they tongues or their back? They are the tongues that come it's out, aren't they? Uh, around their head, isn't it? The they? tongue is the bandage, isn't it? That's right, yeah. yeah. And their tongue wraps around people and uh, both sort of crushes them and, uh, and flays them at the same time, um, which is just, and that's very early on. I think it must be, it must have been episode two in the prog where what's, a fantastic concept suddenly becomes so so dark and mysterious, and you and you're just like, what is going on? And then the hunt for for these stokers eventually leaves um, the detective right into the bowels of the of the ship, where uh, he falls into the main ship engine uh, and lands in the hand of of a demon uh, whose name is Hastor. Is that how you're is that how you're pronouncing that?
0: Yes, Hastor. Yeah.
1: Yeah, who is this enormous, uh, I- enormous monster demon with uh, hairy legs and um, and uh, his face is split open down the middle with one giant eye and then tentacles coming out of the, the back of his head uh, and and of his back. Uh, it, it's the the, the page. Uh, I know we'll come to grail pages later, and this won't be my grail page because I don't think I'd want it on my wall. But the page where he's holding holding them in his hands. Um, and uh and it's just just immense the design is is fantastic and the intricacy in his face and the expression in his face considering it's split down the middle with one giant eye um there is expression in both the 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 middle eye and the the two eye sockets which are are sort of sewn up almost um but still manage to be expressive and what what is interesting i think is particularly on uh, the, the the first few pages that Hastas on uh, he does look like uh, Disraeli, which we see in the um, the uh, uh, the sketches we get at the back include a picture of Disraeli using himself as the model. Uh, for Hasta, for the, the, that main picture I was describing when he's uh, when he's got them in his hands, but even on the next few pages, his, his face was—he's talking to them. Does, does you does look like Disraeli, which is, must be quite uh, disconcerting for Brian Edgington, probably.
0: <laughs> and it's a marvellous reveal—a big full-page splash, as you say, a wonderful page. And it being Disraeli, of course, as you say, we get some process at the back of the book. Um, so we get some sketches, we get some concepts, we get his self reference picture of himself posed like Hester, which he used for that page. And, and also you mentioned the stokers, because I'm guessing um, the reveal at the end of episode one was probably the dead body of Jerry Ledbetter with the sort of skin partially torn off his face. And then the reveal at the end of episode two was of a stoker, um, memorably on the ceiling above its victim, Um they are a remarkable horror creation, aren't
1: they? It's fantastic. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And the fact that the fact that that Stoker is is as you say is it must be it must be episode two. So you know, episode one ends with a really horrific image of. Uh, of uh, uh jerry from uh, the good life let's let's uh it's pretty clear that it that's who it is um uh, with, with his skin sort of ripped off in strips over his face and his the insides of his, his mouth and teeth and gum showing it's really horrible then to one-up that with the image of the stoker on the ceiling um it must have been fantastic at the time it's certainly great in in the book and that uh, sort of scuttling on the ceiling is generally pretty pretty scary whenever that uh, whenever that appears, and then to then to go one further when you get right into to seeing Hasta himself, I mean the, there's so many amazing reveals. I think actually before the reveal of of Hasta, uh, the the page where you see the eye at the heart of the ship, just just the eye is is fantastic. That's actually really really spooky that one has does an amazing design but the the eye opening inside the bowels of the ship is is brilliant uh,
0: another amazing page a page that reminds me uh, I often say this on the on the book club but it reminds me of sort of european heavy metal type artists uh, all the sort of stuff mobius would do uh, with those incredibly detailed mm. backgrounds and then sort of you know the panels building up to this big reveal of the eye um Great stuff. And it's such a shame that we haven't seen more of the Stokers, really, because they're a memorable horror creation um, that are just really in the first story. Yeah, this is it?
1: often the case that... Yeah, as is often the case with horror uh, creations, when once they're multiplied, they're they're actually less scary. They're still brilliant. But one one stoker is incredibly scary. By the time you get to hundreds of them, um, they're actually they're actually a bit less terrifying, because particularly when they're attacking our heroes, you can be relatively sure that at this stage in the story that the heroes are going to make it through. Um, but the, the, the bandage tongues uh, dragging dragging uh, people up to the ceiling, is just, <laughs> it's just disgusting, isn't it? Yeah, amazing.
0: Now, you mentioned that uh, Jerry Ledbetter and Margot Ledbetter, or at least there are characters called Jerry and Margot Ledbetter, um, referencing The Good Life um, from British TV, because Ian Edgington and Disraeli, always known for sort of littering their work with little pop culture references and in jokes and nods and so on did you have any particular others that you noticed or enjoyed from this uh this collection
1: yeah i think i think what's what's good is that they're not um they're not breaking the story so if you notice it it's amusing uh, and if you don't it doesn't matter the the other one that really stood out to me is right at the end of the story uh as again we we're, we're past the spoiler but the spoiler warning aren't we but just before the ship uh, crashes into New York um you have um uh, oh hang on a second. What what uh Bert and Ernie from uh yeah, from Sesame Street, uh sitting uh fishing uh on on the edge of the uh the little pier, sticking out of New York just before the enormous monster ship crashes into them and presumably destroys a significant part of New York and kills an awful lot of people uh, as it goes.
0: Yeah, I, that's that one's great. I liked seeing uh, or catching Yozzy Hughes from uh, Boys from the Black Stuff is in there below decks in the series. Uh,
1: He's actually gives a job, isn't he? Yeah, he actually says that, doesn't he? Says gives a job, yeah.
0: Uh, so that's great stuff. And I'll, I'll perhaps shout out my own annotations because you can find Annotations to Ian and Matt's work that I've done and I'll put those links in the show notes. But yeah, it's it, as you say, it doesn't get in the way of the story. They're not big parts of it but if you notice them it's a bit of fun as well along the way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, just while we're talking of the arc, just one other thing I want to point out on uh, when when are uh, there's a bit, uh, while they're just starting the investigation um, and they're, they're starting to make their way into the bowels of the ship where there's a very brief backstory of what what things were like when the uh, when the boat was first um, lost at sea and what things were like for the the you know the everyday people and there's just two panels um, of of uh, the um, of people stealing all the food and then eventually a, a group uh, having enough and and beating up the the people who were stealing the food and making sure that everyone got their uh got a fair share those those two panels look like they're from comics from the 70s and it's just there is only two panels uh of it but it, it looks like it's from uh you know battle or, or eagle or, or early 2000 ad and it's very subtle that the difference and it is mostly in in the shading but it looks so different from everything else on the page and everything else in the comic it really stands out
0: it does and you know we've We've come across in 2000 AD different ways of handling flashbacks to you know give you a different uh, a different feel to the art. Famously, Carlos Cascara does it in *The Apocalypse War* um, when they have to do a flashback sequence to show how dread survived the bullet. Um, and here they do those two panels, and you know I'm looking at them now, and that was exactly what I was thinking. It looks like something from *Battle Picture Weekly* almost. Um, just this little subtle changes that he's done on those two panels that tells us this is something from the past it's almost past comics and now we're into a more sort of uh, modern um, horror story Um, yeah fantastic detail well spotted so while we're talking about the art let's uh well before actually before i ask you for your grail page michael what about any other favorite moments from the main story or from the backup? stories that are featured in the trade any others that you particularly wanted to call out
1: yeah i mean the the backup stories are, are all fun enough but they are they are quite slight i think my favorite of those uh would be the the amelia Earhart uh, um uh, sort of story where the um the female pilot just takes off in her plane to try and try and find what's going on and all she finds is is hasta uh, who takes her up and just adds her soul to his collection none of that no one ends up out particularly well from those uh, those short stories it's that particularly i think the the christmas story which um which i remember reading in in the christmas product at the time you know oh, oh, oh happy christmas is uh, is everybody dead and a Christmas tree full of uh, dead bodies and entrails? <laughs> it's yeah. just, oh, brilliant! Yeah, uh, that's, that's what you want to read in your uh, in your end of year prog. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, in terms of you know other things from the story, I think the the ending the ending is is fantastic. But although it doesn't, it, it, what happens to Hasta? You know what happens next? That none of that is is resolved. There is there is you know open ended elements that could could have led on to more and i guess technically could could still lead on to more um i think the other the, the other piece i call out is the, the there's a battle um with uh with with william ash uh, uh, how i can say this right ash bless ash bless that yeah. right yeah, yeah yeah um which ends when hastas soul is freed um and then you get a couple of pages of of Haster taking his revenge, which is truly uh, magnificent. And the the look on Haster's face when he realizes that he's, he's got what he wanted and he's got his freedom and he's getting his revenge as he's uh, sending all the stokers up to uh, rip William Ashbless apart for forever and ever. Amen, as it said. You know, those two pages there of, of uh, Ashbless on the, the small bit of rock uh, in the middle of the, the fiery pits of hell with Haster, leaning over him sort of ready to clasp him in his hands are, are amazing fantastic
0: uh yeah they are they are um impressive episodes i liked when he i particularly liked the moment uh when detective sergeant lament meets up with um i don't know what i can't remember her name now but she says sky oh right thank you sky and yeah uh, round here i'm the law she says in steerage
1: yes <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've with her very phallic daystick. Yes, <laughs> very strange. I mean, all daysticks, all daysticks are phallic, but uh, but this one particularly so. Um, yeah. I'd say.
0: Okay, let's play the Grail Page game. Let's give you all of this wonderful black and white art. I don't know if this was produced all digitally first or not. I, I, I'm afraid I don't know. But let's imagine it's all original artwork and it's available and we can afford it. Have you got a page or two that you would like to own, even if not necessarily display on the wall, Michael?
1: Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for two that I would well, would be okay displaying on the wall, which which pretty much rules Hasta out because because <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think I, I could cope with it, and I certainly don't think I'd be allowed to at home. Um, so the the first is actually the the cover of of the of the graphic novel edition, uh, which I don't think was actually a 2000 AD cover, but it's the it's it's black and orange uh, with the boat at the very top in silhouettes, and then the the hand reaching up from from under the sea. I think that's just an amazing cinematic image. And if if we were ever lucky enough that this was a, if this was made into a film, that's a pretty good start uh, as a movie poster. Uh, really simplistic, but really effective.
0: Do you know, looking at it now, Mike, I've only just noticed, of course, that on the black background, he's got the lost souls, hasn't he?
1: Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it looks total totally black, but you've got to get close enough to see that that yeah, it is it is just sort of endless lost souls um, floating around the Haster's hand reaching out for the boat. Yeah, it's it's amazing.
0: So that's a fantastic image. We'll grant you that one.
1: Second one? second one we've we've mentioned uh we've mentioned already, but it's the page which ends with the eye uh, in the boat, so it starts with with a sort of distant shot of of the complexity uh inside the the bowels of the boat and and in the engine area then you've got the opening of the door um and then you see. Uh, the the uh, it almost looks like a mine doesn't it at the uh, at the heart of the boat and then you see the eye image which you've seen so many times uh, on the outside of that sort of mine shape and then it opens and you see it's an actual eye I just think that's uh, that's amazing the storytelling within those five panels um, as well as the art is just is fantastic I'd love to have that.
0: It's an immense page with so much detail again typical map to Brooker israeli putting in all the extra work to put put the backgrounds in um and then it's just this sort of closing in through the open door to the eye and then the eye opening it's just it's wonderful we will grant you both those pages and as ever i will post them on the various socials when this episode comes out um yeah they're just wonderful aren't they
1: yeah fantastic i look forward to receiving them in the uh in the digital post
0: yes and I will also pick the cover for Prog thirteen sixty, which is another cover. Uh, this one again shows the ship sort of sailing towards us with the Eye of Hasta in the on the bow, but also a sort of they made it into a sort of Death's Head, and it's a parody of a famous um, shipping poster um, that's also been used for film posters for uh, things like Ghost Ship and so on. But this was the um disraeli doing it for the prog so prog 1360 the cover for that i'd have that one if i could and i
1: presume that was color was it uh at the time yes, yeah yeah that was. was red and black wasn't it right yeah. whereas in the reproduction here it's it's gray and black yeah yeah fantastic
0: work well yeah, absolutely I, I, so uh leviathan is wonderful we heartily recommend it um I don't think these trade collections that you and I have got are still available. It is available digitally for 7 99 from the 2000 AD store, which is a bargain price. But I also note that it came out in the Ultimate collection from Hachette last year. Um, they bundled it together with a couple of other stories, including Necronauts. Um, so that one is out there in hardback uh apparently came out in october of last year so that must be around somewhere i haven't seen one myself but that's probably if you want a hard copy the way to get it i would guess
1: yeah and probably slightly slightly bigger and with better quality pages so. yeah fantastic
0: stuff michael well, what a pick and what a book i'm really sort of like glad that we finally got to leviathan you know uh, i've been wanting to do it on the on the book club for a while and it is just a tremendous uh, uh horror, mystery. Um, it's got the weird and uncanny in there. Um, it's a great mixture and all with Disraeli's wonderful artwork. So moving on, just let's mention quickly, you've been on the other preeminent 2000 AD podcast because you did one of the winter specials with Conrad on Space Spinner, I think
1: yeah I did the nineteen ninety three winter special uh with Conrad, which was a lot of fun uh i, I it's fair to say as a, as a comic it's probably not quite as high a quality as uh as reading through Leviathan with you um but it's uh, it was a lot of fun nonetheless yeah it's
0: great doing these specials and yearbooks and annuals with Conrad as you say the quality of those can be a bit variable um but it is a lot of fun and hearing conrad do the sort of thrill one voices up close or you know through your earphones is quite as a treat itself
1: yeah and they're great time capsules of uh you know in that in that case uh 1993, both uh, to, to, you know for your life as well. If you can remember where you were, if you read them at the time, but but also of of 2000 AD and and uh, and the world in general. When so many pop culture references that make no sense now, but if you can remember what what was happening in 2003 in sorry in, in 1993, then uh, yeah, it takes you right back. Uh,
0: so that was episode two eight four of Space spinner 2000. And again, look in the show notes for a link to that. And um also megacity book club has been mentioned in the pages of 2000 ad and the only reason it has been mentioned is down to you michael i've got you to thank for that
1: yeah i've 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 uh, i've had a couple of uh of, of letters in the prog over the many many years and uh and yeah I, I wrote in calling out um a few podcasts that i was listening to so um space spinner as, as you've mentioned y- yourself and uh, and the great dante read through which uh it's I've really enjoyed uh, rereading along with people. So having almost a an excuse or a, or a reason to read along uh, with the, the the entirety of the prog with uh, with Fox and Conrad uh, in, in Space Spinner and, and all the way through Dante to, to where we are at the moment as we've just sort of finished the war uh, in the great Dante read through and, and sort of jumping all over the map with yourself on Megacity City Brook Club. It's a great prompt to, to read and then listen along and, and gives you a, a bit of a uh, extra thinking rather than just reading consuming moving on reading consuming moving on to hear other people's thoughts about it i've, I've, I've really enjoyed that over the last few years
0: oh great thank you. well thank you very much thank you for the shout out in the in the letters page and uh yeah you feature in um uh the beast the database so you've got two entries now in letters to tharg
1: Wow, I did not know that, that that there was a database of letters to two thousand a d wow okay oh yeah
0: there is uh stephen watson um button man himself on the forums maintains the uh the database. I'll send you a link so you can see yourself uh preserved. Fab. i can't remember what the first letter was about so yeah yeah well you'll be able to find. you'll be able to search his database and find it. Michael, thank you so much for giving up your time to come on and talk about Leviathan. Uh, I'm glad we managed to uh, get it done on the book club because it is such a great book and I'm such a fan of all the Edgington and Disraeli collaborations. Uh,
1: so thank you very much. I really appreciate it and uh, great, great to talk to you. So thanks for having me, Eamon.
0: I, I hope we can find another book to get you back on at some point in the future. So um, we'll see. We'll talk about that off air. Great. Sounds good. And thank you to everyone for listening to Megacity Book Club. Find all the links uh, and all the references that we've been talking about at megacitybookclub.com. You can follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Mastodon and the two thousand eighty forums. Uh, we're no longer updating on Twitter. I've come off Twitter, basically, for obvious reasons. But uh, you can find me on all the other socials and that's where I will post the Grail pages. And email me, as Michael did, at mcbcpodcast at gmail.com if you've got a book that you'd like to come on and discuss. So that's it. Until next time when we're discussing another great book, it's a goodbye from me and...
1: Goodbye from me.